Welcome to Truth Talk with John Morgan of Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. Good morning and welcome to Truth Talk. My name is John Morgan with the Traders Point Church of Christ. I'm here with our evangelist, Jeremy Bard. We're going to be in John chapter 2 this morning. Uh, This is our third program in the Gospel of John. We took a couple of of times to get through the first chapter, and now we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning as we begin to look at the beginning stages of Jesus' ministry uh, here in in John chapter 2. So Jeremy, why don't you kick us off? I know we spent a couple of weeks there in John chapter 1 as John introduces Jesus to us in a lot of ways. We saw the early days of him as he, as he met and chose his disciples. And now as we get into chapter 2, I think this is the part of Jesus' life that we're probably most familiar with as he begins his ministry and his miracles and those types of things. But as we get into John chapter 2, you and I were talking before we began about the timeline of all of this. So maybe if you, if you could just take a moment before we get into the bulk of what John's writing here to kind of walk us through where we are in Jesus' life and the timeline of what's going on here. Yeah, we've, all, we've made mention, especially in the first couple of uh, lessons and, and studies here in John chapter 1, we made mention that, you know, you have those four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and although all four Gospels tell the same story of the same man who lived at the exact same time, you, you do have different angles of Jesus. And that's the great benefit of having all four Gospels, is you get these different angles of Jesus and have a better understanding of, of what he was all about. Because, in essence, as a Christian, we're looking to model our life after him right. and to have a, a more full or a complete picture of what he was all about is is going to be helpful to us. Mm -hmm. And so we oftentimes will kind of lump Matthew, Mark, and Luke together, and and they'll be referenced as the synoptic gospels. They were written certainly for different purposes, even to different audiences, but a lot of times they group some things together, whether it be a big group of parables or a big, even a group of miracles or some teachings. A lot of times that isn't chronologically perfect, Mm -hmm. even though they'll begin with his birth and kind of end towards his death. A lot of things in the middle are, are kind of grouped together. But when you come to the Gospel of John, John is kind of the outlier, and I think it's an outlier for a couple of different reasons. One, it's the best, most chronological gospel that we have. I think he begins at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry and works his way chronologically through the story of Jesus. But also I think it's interesting to note that John is going to write his gospel probably decades after Matthew, Mark, and Luke have written their Gospels, and it's been circulated. And so, you know, all of those things are out. The story of Jesus is well known. And so John's purpose for writing is a little bit different. He includes some things that the others don't, and I think that helps us to see it. But John also gives us various kind of time indicators. Mm -hmm. We made mention of them in John chapter 1. You have, you know, multiple times where in like verse 29 of John 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards them. And then you have that story of John there with Jesus. And again, you have like in verse 35 of chapter 1, again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples. And I think that's literally meaning the next day, that this is happening, you know, one day after the other. And now you come to, you know, what's happening here in John chapter 2 at the very beginning, and you kind of have another indicator, you know, on the third day that they have this wedding there in Cana of Galilee that they're at. And I think the indication is 
It is extremely early on. This is really the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and mm-hmm. it's the beginning of his relationship with his disciples, yeah. I think. They've not been with Jesus very long, just a few days, and now to see him and the way that he conducts himself here in Cana mm-hmm. as we work our way through chapter 2, as he gets into Jerusalem, how he conducts himself there. I mean, we are days a week or two into them even being with Jesus. And you're at the very outset of it. And I think the impact of that would have been profound on them for sure. Oh, it would have. And I, I can only imagine trying to put myself in that situation. Just, you know, as someone who is is really early on in my relationship with Christ, having probably a limited understanding as to what's actually taking place here, and then to see what he does first at this wedding feast and then, as you mentioned, at the temple I mean, you can only imagine. I mean, their eyes must have been as big as saucers trying to just take all of this in. Not just what he's saying, but what he's doing and the reaction that he's getting from other people uh, as, he go, as he begins his ministry here. And this must have been, in a lot of ways, overwhelming to these men who have, who have taken on the role of his disciples and are following him. And I really think there, there's a lot of lessons that can be taken from that because I think people experience some of that today as well. In, in the early stages of coming to understand Christ and who He is and what He's done for us and, and what the Bible has to say and the impact that it's going to have on your lives, those things can be overwhelming at times. Right. Because when you think about the impact and the magnitude of, of Christ and what He's done for us and who He is, those types of things can be overwhelming. And, and we see a situation here in which these men are you know, they're drinking from a fire hydrant in a lot of ways, trying to take all of this in. And, and Jesus is both patient with them while encouraging them to get on board and figure this thing out. And, and I think that we have to be the same way with, with each other and with, with people who are perhaps coming to know Christ for the first time in their lives. There, there's a level of patience that's going to be required as they begin to understand what all this is about. And there is also an important part that we play in helping them along, making sure that they're progressing in that knowledge and that relationship. And I think Jesus paints a good picture of that with his disciples early on in his ministry. And even later, I mean, because this goes on for years, I mean, even, you know, year, a couple of years into his ministry, there are times where he still has to get on them a little bit <laughs> sure. because you still haven't figured all this out. And, and so we can kind of just see that progression and how it takes place. And I think there's a lot of lessons that we can take from that as we deal with each other and with new Christians in particular and, and help them along in their journey with Christ. You know, to kind of kind of set the stage of what's, you know, going on, I mean, we'll get into the specifics of it here in just a moment, but, you know, just to kind of build on that point even a little bit more, you know, we, we've studied through, you know, all of the Gospels, and we have in our mind all of these incredible miracles that Jesus performed, and each and every one of them would have been, it would have been unbelievable mm-hmm. to be there to see it. I yeah. mean, that's, I mean, that's really the definition of a miracle. I mean, something that's unbelievable. Yeah. And to be there and to see it, I mean, just would have been incredible. Yeah. And the disciples, as we read through the Gospels, they were present for lots of miracles that mm-hmm. Jesus performed. But what we get right here in John chapter 2, and John says it directly, this is the very first miracle that he performs. Yeah. And I think the, he makes mention, not just that it's the first miracle here in John's gospel. I think John also means this is the first sign that he does mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the midst of his ministry. Th- this is not just sign number one in the gospel of John, but probably sign number one for Jesus. And so you're dealing with you know, his disciples 
who they're not in year three where they've right. seen Jesus perform several miracles. This is as unbelievable as that would have been in year three. I mean, this is something that for them to mentally grab hold, it just, it just I don't know if it would have been something they could have mentally grabbed yeah. hold of right here. Yeah. Now, their belief is stemmed for sure, and mm-hmm. John makes mention of that. But to witness some of these things, we'll get into it. And when he gets into the temple in Jerusalem, I mean, John just basically comes out and says it. The, the disciples just were completely lost mm-hmm. at, the, at the meaning of what was happening at that yeah. time. And they didn't figure it out until a long time later that they were just lost the whole time. But yet Jesus is still teaching here. He's Mm -hmm. teaching them. He's teaching all of us. And it's, you know, to go through and to study it this way, really, certainly it would have been profound for them, but certainly it can be profound for us as we're taking this journey with John. And that's what he's doing. He's taking us on a journey of Jesus's life. And we've got to allow ourselves to go on that Mm -hmm. journey to try to push our, you know, our preconceived ideas. And, you know, we know the story, but to try to picture everything for the very first time, I think can be helpful when you're going through one of the gospels. I agree, and I love how down in verse number 11, I think John, as you mentioned, he, he kind of summarizes the purpose of the miracles that Jesus performs. He says there that his, he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And really, when you think about Jesus and the, the miracles that he performed throughout his ministry, that was the sole focus and purpose for doing those things. It wasn't about, he wasn't showing off. And it really didn't even, it wasn't even, the purpose behind his miracles wasn't even necessarily the physical help that it gave to some people along the way, although that was part of it. The purpose of him performing miracles was to manifest his glory and have people believe in him. Right. And right out of the gate, I think, as he performs this first miracle for his disciples to see, that point is being made, that these these have a purpose to them. And for us as readers, hopefully that same purpose holds true for us. When we read about the miracles that Jesus performs, or even the miracles that he allowed the apostles to perform as well. When we look at those things, they should in every way do the same thing for us today. It brings glory to who Jesus is, and it establishes our belief in who he was and who who he is. And I think that same principle holds true even if for us as readers, you know, thousands of years after the fact, to be able to go back and look at these miracles, whether it's turning water into wine or, or whether it's healing people or whatever the case may have been along the way, each of those cases should do the same thing. It should bring glory to Christ and it should help establish our belief in who he is. And those those principles, I think, were running through the minds of the of these disciples as they were witnessing all of this for the first time. They may not have known the full story. They may not have had that full level of understanding. But one thing they did when they saw this is they recognized, well, this guy's somebody special. Right. And 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 it and it helped strengthen their belief in who he claimed to be. And so these miracles, even as, as kind of under the radar as this one seemed to be, I mean, he even kind of indicates, like, I'm not sure I want this really, you know, it's not, my hour's not yet come. He, he wants to do this a little bit under the radar, but at the same time, what they're witnessing, they see as, wow, this is special. This is not just some ordinary man. This is a 
special individual, and it helps strengthen their belief in those early stages. You know, if the purpose was to be anything different, it wouldn't have been as under the radar as this one was. Mm -hmm. If it was to to blast to the world his power, his greatness, everyone look at me, Mm -hmm. this first miracle would have been done where everybody knew what took place, where it would have been, hey, let me get everybody's attention Mm -hmm. and watch what's going to happen. But as this miracle unfolds, it doesn't operate that way. I mean, it operates basically where his mother knows, his disciples know, to a point the ones who got the water into the pitchers know, but everyone else just simply thinks, hey, the, the best was brought out last. I don't know why mm-hmm. that is, but that's the case. And, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a blasted out to the entire wedding party that this is something that just took place. It was there for his disciples. John, as you made mention, tells us it was for them. It was for their belief. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, we can, you know, certainly get into it, but, you know, they're they're in a different place even, you know, everybody's in a different place than where Mary is. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Mary is, she is the one that really understands who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. I think John the Baptist certainly is in Mm -hmm. in that boat as well, but Mary's the one that knows that she became pregnant without knowing a man and spoke to the angel. I mean, she knows how special Jesus is. And now, you know, she's, you know, certainly using that, in, mm-hmm. you know, in some way. But, you know, you made mention that, you know, Jesus, even though we're on the precipice of it, you know, his mindset is everything is, is planned out. Everything, mm-hmm. you know, has a, everything has a purpose. And even though we're getting very close, it's still, I think, interesting, you know, the relationship play between Jesus and his mother, yeah. you know, even right here. And I think the respect that he shows to her, mm-hmm. I think that's what comes across here, is the, the respect and the, the love that he has for his mother, you know, in this, uh, in this moment, where seemingly she is at least in some form of in charge or has some authority, mm-hmm. you know, here, and, and he's certainly concerned about that. Yeah, I think it's, when you were just saying that, the song Mary Did You Know came to my mind you know it's a song we probably all heard it's a pretty song but yes she knew I mean we can answer the question yes she knew she tells I mean she clearly this this problem is brought to her attention she knows exactly what to do hey he can take care of it and he even tells them whatever he says to you do do it. it you know that she clearly has an understanding as to who her son is and to your point that's not something that has just happened it goes all the way back prior to Jesus's birth she has a very clear understanding about who Jesus is and I think you're right the the relationship that we see between Jesus and his mother here and going all the way to the cross even is is one that is very important to Jesus is very important to his mother and and there is a very clear understanding on her part as to who her son is and he is not just some ordinary individual here that this is this is the Son of God that, that you're talking to. And so we see that relationship build over time, and I think it's interesting to see that in its early stages here um, in Jesus' ministry and how that plays out. And I do think as, as we see her playing that role, she also is probably in some ways helping the disciples as she recognizes who he is. They're probably looking at that and saying, oh, okay, she can be uh, kind of this person that we look to as an example mm-hmm. as to how we treat Jesus so that relationship, I think, is really important. And, of course, it sets the stage then for, for this miracle that Jesus is going to perform here with water into wine. One thing I, I wanted to just mention, because I thought it was interesting there in, in verse number 4, 
when Mary brings this to Jesus' attention, his response is, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I thought that was a really interesting response because there is almost a sense of hesitation on Jesus' part because he, he makes the point here, my, my hour has not yet come. And I think when we see how all of this plays out and how it does kind of play out a little bit under the radar, Jesus, I think, is, is indicating to us that he has a very clear understanding of the timeline of things that are going to take place. And we really see a, a purposeful um, attention to that timeline on his part throughout yeah. his ministry. There are times when he's going to do things very, very publicly, and there are times when he's not. And, and he has a very clear understanding of that, more so than Mary does, more so than his disciples do. Right. And, and he's kind of making mention of that. Like, listen, I, I have a plan for how all of this is going to play out. You need to allow me to handle that. And I think that indication that my hour has not yet come, in John chapter 17, towards the end of his life when he's praying, he makes the point that my hour has come. Right. And, and so he understands that how all of this is going to play out and how that timeline is going to work within his life, even when other people around him don't. Yeah, I mean, even in this same chapter, we'll talk about it here in just a moment, but you know, the event that takes place at the end of this chapter is the furthest thing from under the radar. Right. I mean, you know, as under the radar as this miracle is, and, and that's exactly what it is. I mean, you know, we've not talked about, you know, the specifics of the miracle itself, but you know that that's what takes place here. I mean, he he has these servants to fill up water pots with water, and then he just says, "Hey, draw some of that water out and take it to the master of the feast." Mm-hmm. And by the time it makes it to the master of the feast, I mean it's no longer water anymore. Right. It is it's wine, and then he makes mention that it is the best. It's the very best, and so there's a clear miracle that takes place here. But it isn't under the radar. No one knows. Certainly the people of the wedding feast, they don't, they don't yeah. know this has taken place. They just think, well, this has just been held out until now. So it isn't under the radar you know, thing that takes place. But by the time he makes his way into Jerusalem here at the end of the chapter, again, this is the furthest thing from under the radar. He is out in the front, and it's something very public you know, that takes place. And so I think to your point, Jesus is the one who has the grasp on the timing of everything. Mm-hmm. He is the one that understands it. And he helps his followers uh, along the way a little mm-hmm. bit. But he's really the only one. And the Gospel of John, and we'll work through it over the next several weeks and months, where Jesus has a firm understanding of the yep. timeline. And he'll get to the, you know, the, towards the end of this you know, Gospel. And John spends a long time in his Gospel, just in the very last week of Jesus. I mean, almost the back half of John's Gospel mm-hmm. is just that last week. And, and Jesus is very, very much understands he's at the very end. It is, mm-hmm. His crucifixion is, is right there, and his disciples really struggle with an understanding of that. And so Jesus has a firm grasp of, of the timing of everything. And you see that playing out certainly right here in John chapter 2. When you think about, you mentioned the understanding that the disciples had, or, or in some cases didn't have, that that's being showcased even in these early stages. When we get into this section here where Jesus goes into the temple uh, around the Passover time, and what we see is a situation in which people have used the Passover and the feast and the sacrifices that come along with Passover as an opportunity to make money. And there's people in the temple who are selling animals and those types of things, and they're, they're making a lot of money off of people who are coming into Jerusalem and needing sacrifices and those types right. of things. And Jesus drives them all out. And we can talk more about that, but one of the things that I think goes along with what you were saying just a moment ago is that Jesus, even from the early days in his ministry, is constantly pointing towards the end. He's constantly looking at the end, and he's telling them about the end. 
and trying to help them in their understanding as to what's going to happen. And he does that right here. When, when he talks about destroying the temple and, and building it up in three days, and they're, they're not understanding that and what he's trying to say there, even right then, he's, he's pointing them towards the end. He's right. pointing them towards the end and his death and his resurrection. And, and so I think we get a, a sense here from the very beginning, he's not going to just come out and sit them down and say, here's what's going to happen. But he is going to kind of tell them the story along the way and help lead them to an understanding of to, as to what he wants them to know about who he is and what's going to happen. And I think this is an interesting approach that he takes, both with his disciples and with other people yeah, along the way, to just kind of drop these hints or, or parts of the story along the way and allow people to gather that information and kind of build the narrative for themselves based on what Jesus has to say. And I think there's, there's, uh, there's some importance to that for us today because as we study through the Bible, that, that's our responsibility in a lot of ways is to gather the information as the Holy Spirit has given it to us and, and kind of build that narrative, help our understanding and help paint that entire picture of, of the plan of salvation and the plan that God's had for mankind from the very beginning. It's our responsibility to gather all of that information to kind of put that picture in front of us. And, and Jesus, I think, is kind of trying to help his disciples do just that along the way. Because when you take that approach to it, when you do come to that understanding, it's going to be so much stronger and so much deeper than it would be if someone just sat you down and said, do this, do this, do this, and here's why. It, allowing them to kind of build that understanding is going to help deepen their faith in the long run. Yeah, and you, you see that playing out right here in John too. I mean, Jesus is operating so much further ahead than than everybody else right here. But to your point, he, he doesn't deliver it to them because he knows what's he knows what's coming he knows all the answers mm -hmm. but yet the, it, he understands that his disciples aren't aren't able to grab hold of it right now they need all of these other things in order to get ultimately where they need to be mm -hmm. and jesus understands that and he he does it in a way that works best for them and you just you don't see him even pounding it out, you know, right here about you know the point that he makes that you know hey you know you destroy this temple and I'll I'll raise it up in three days and he just just kind of leaves it at that yeah. you know right now I mean John is the one the writer is the one that tells us that you know much later the disciples are thinking about that mm -hmm. but here Jesus just kind of kind of leaves it and you know it's as we made mention that as under the radar is. The beginning of this chapter is here it's not i mean he mm -hmm. comes into the temple as you said and you've got all of these people taking advantage of the people that are there I and mean, that's what's happening here mm -hmm. they need sacrifices they need things and so you had these people in the temple taking advantage of all of that making money and, and jesus makes that whip and he chases them all out you know making the point that you know this you don't make my father's house a house of merchandise and mm -hmm. john makes mention that it's zeal that is driving him to do that Everybody takes notice of it, and they ask him about, you know, basically, how can you have the authority to do this? Mm -hmm. If that's the case, show us, you know, a sign. And that's when he says, well, yeah, I'll show you a sign. You knock this temple down, and I'll build it back up in three days. And, you know, their confusion. Hey, it's yeah. taken 46 years right. to build this temple. You're going to do it in three days. And, you know, you then you have, you know, he was talking about, you know, his body. But what's interesting, to your point that you were just making, 
is, you know, John gives us there in verse 22 that when he had risen from the dead, I mean, now we're years from this point, but John gives it to us right here. When he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the Scripture and the Word in which mm-hmm. Jesus had said. Mm-hmm. And that was what Jesus was wanting in the moment here, but it took them years and lots of other events in order for them to get ultimately to where they needed to be. And again, that is belief in who he is. Right. And we see that you know in both of these episodes in John 2. Well, it's these types of things that... When we when we see even even as as New Testament Christians when we when we read through the Old Testament or even into the, some portions of Jesus's life and we see prophecies that that are later fulfilled in some way that that is very much a faith building exercise for us to go back and see those things to see prophecy or promises that God made and then their fulfillment come later on what these men got to see is they got to see all of that happen in their lifetime. They right. got to think back and realize, oh, three years ago, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen, and he was trying to tell me about it, and now here it is. Exactly yeah. what he said was going to happen, happened. And, and you, you can just imagine how, I mean, even, even having known and spent time with Jesus for three years, how that would have just strengthened their faith and taken it to a whole other level because they literally lived to see the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecies in this regard. And so I think that that in and of itself is something that Jesus sees the value of early on in his relationship with his disciples. That even though you may not fully understand it right now, you will. Right. And, and when you see the entire picture come to fruition, it's going to blow your mind. And, and you are going to you are going your faith is going to be so grounded and so strong because you've had the opportunity to see all of this happen firsthand. And now, of course, we have the benefit of seeing it all laid out before us. We don't have to wait three years necessarily to see all of this happen. We get to see the entire picture laid out before us through through the Scriptures. And hopefully the, the same uh, faith strengthening that came with the apostles, seeing all of this from Jesus, happens to us today when we read through the story of Jesus and we recognize that this was a man who understood exactly what his, what his role in this world was to be. He understood exactly what was going to happen, and he was calling it play by play as he went through it. And we kind of get to the opportunity to take a step back and see all of it and just see the glory of everything that happened throughout Jesus' life. Yeah, you know, we, we've made mention already a couple of times, you know, in a lot of ways— I mean, these things are designed to bring glory ultimately to God. I mean, that's, you know, that's what all these things are. And and you almost see that concern, you know, in this, you know, episode that happens at the end of chapter 2. Even Jesus' focus on earth was reverence and glory to the Father. I mean, it's it's on his mind all the time. And you go to, you know, Luke's gospel, when you get the picture of, you know, Jesus as a, you know, a young boy at 12 who's, you know, left behind there at the temple. And really, the very first recorded words of Jesus given to us Mm -hmm. at, you know, 12 years old is, you know, parents, Mary and Joseph, find him. And they ask him, you know, what was he doing? And he says, well, I've got to be about my father's business. And so you see that focus on God you know, from the from the get-go. And mm-hmm. now you see that playing out right here. He, he sees the irreverence mm-hmm. that's taking place at the house of God, and he, he's bothered by that. And, and, you know, listen, before we're done, I think, you know, that application point needs to be there for us. I mean, you know, the, the irreverence that happens in the religious world today for God and his things, 
it, it should bother us. Yeah. I mean, it should cause us to be bothered by that and to, to love God and to revere Him so highly to be even apt to do something or to say something because He is to be valued so much. And, you know, Jesus sees that the only thing being valued here was money. Yeah. Not God, not his business, but money, and he's bothered by that. And so he, he, he does this. He, he, I think he'll do it again a little later on, almost the exact same thing a little bit later on again. And I, I think for us to take note of that as well is important as we go through John chapter 2. Yeah, when we get there at the end of the chapter, you know, we get this indication that, that Jesus performed perhaps other signs while he was there. And again, the result of that is that many believed in him. And again, I think we just see really Jesus establishing the purpose of what he was going to do and the actions that he was going to take and the impact that that was going to have on people. And that, again, we've made the point, that is just as true today as it was back then. And when we read through the pages of the story of, of Jesus' life, the result should be that it leads to belief right. in who he is, it leads to belief in what he came to do, and it leads to a deep-rooted faith in him. That should ultimately be the reaction of, of, a, of a heart that is looking and searching for the truth. Right to read the story of Jesus and to believe in who he is and why he came here to this earth. Hopefully that's the impact that it has on all of us. And you see it three different times. I mean, after him changing water to the wine, we made mention the disciples saw that and believed in him. Yeah. We see that again, you know, after he had been risen from the dead, they are able to look back and to believe in him and what he's all about. And as you made mention, even because of all of the other signs that he's done, you have people believing in him. So three different times in this one chapter, again, it is the purpose of John's gospel, and we see it playing out right here in chapter Absolutely. 2. We'll go ahead and wrap things up there. We want to thank everyone for taking some time out of their morning to, to study along with us. Hopefully this has given you some things to think about as you continue on in your own study. We'll be in John chapter 3 next week, so please uh, make plans to join us for that. But thank you again for taking some time with us this morning. If you're in the area and looking for a place to worship, uh, we'd love to invite you to come and be with us. Uh, we meet on the corner of 82nd and Lafayette Road on the northwest side of Indianapolis. We have Bible classes for all ages on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., followed by worship at 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on Sunday evenings. We also meet for midweek Bible study at 7 p.m. on Wednesday evenings. So you're more than welcome to come join us for any of those that you can. We also live stream our services, so if you can't join us in person but want to follow along with that, traderspointchurch.org is where you go to find that live stream. We try and link that to our Facebook page as well. So you can follow along with our worship services there if you can't join us in person. So thank you again for taking some time with us today, and we'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Truth Talk with John Morgan of the Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. You can hear Truth Talk every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here on 98.9 FM WYRZ.